Hi, Guy Powell here, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing and AI. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And you can find more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. So marketing has been going wild over the last uh, 12 months, actually probably since COVID and even pre-COVID, certainly that uh, caused uh, havoc in all of our marketing plans. But with COVID over, AI has infiltrated our marketing actions and analytics is the new marketing currency. And I guess the question is, are you ready? Is your marketing and are your marketing and sales teams ready to win? So with that, I'm interviewing Damon Burton, he is the creator of a multi-seven-figure SEO agency called SEO National. And congratulations on that, Damon. Uh, getting past that one million number is is never easy. And uh, being in the multi-seven-figure, that's a fantastic thing. So congratulations on that. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, a lot of these benchmarks that you run into with entrepreneurship, uh, you, you get stuck in the forward momentum and you don't realize a lot of these accomplishments until retrospect. So um, it's been a fun ride. It's been a long ride and I'm sure we'll unpack a lot of the fun moments uh, across that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Damon. Uh, he is husband and father of three. He beat a billion dollar company by outranking their website on Google. From, en from then on, he realized he was onto something great and went on to build an international SEO marketing company that's worked with Inc. Five, Inc. 5000 and Shark Tank featured businesses alike. Having started his businesses right before the 2008 recession, Damon is familiar with navigating and growing a business during confusing times, including tripling revenue during the recent pandemic. Since founding his company SEO National in 2007, Damon has been featured in publications including Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, BuzzFeed, and USA Weekly. And he, as he helps big and small clients make more in a month than they used to in a year. Damon, welcome. So good to have you. Looking forward to chatting. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So before we get started, tell us what is your backstory in marketing? How did your career in marketing get started? So I, I've, if I were to pinpoint it way back, I could go super far, which um, I think I could start as early as like junior high. Um, you know, I grew up lower middle class and I knew a uh, computer wasn't in the cards for my family. And so I would take advantage of them at school. And that was as simple as learning how to type. So at a really young age, I was doing all the nerdy stuff, taking uh, speed typing classes. And I took that into learning word processing. And then as I learned word processing, believe it or not, there used to not be website builders. And so you had to learn everything by by hand, by HTML. And so um, because I had those other skills in school, they invited me to the first ever HTML class in high school. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a little side note that's interesting about that is, is I still use those manual skill sets today because these builders, um, are great and awesome, but, but they, they don't know what looks good and is ugly or, you know, and so a lot of times you have to override those. And so I took that and where it really started to turn into a career was I started a hobby website. Uh, I started a website about cars. I used to be big into cars, built that into community. And as that continued to grow, I said, you know, how do I make this better? So that's how I got more intentional about design. And then I said, how do I monetize this? And then that's how I got into marketing, um, picked up some side clients and then um, 
the the day job got shut down by the FTC and the ATF. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had a choice to make. I was working remote for this company and and the choice was see if I still had a job or go find another job or bet on myself. And I bet on myself and 17 years later, a team of 60 and a few million. And here we are. Yeah, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, betting on yourself uh, is definitely, I, I think, the way to go. I've been betting on myself just like you the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years now. Man, it's hard to believe how long it's been. But that's weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the time flies when you're having fun, but it yeah. also doesn't fly so fast when the di when the days aren't so good. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um so uh, everybody says uh, in the SEO world or even in the uh, in the website world that content is king. But uh, you know, are all topics created equally? No, and and you know it's a, it, it's true. The content has a lot of value, and and this is a great topic to talk about because it opens up the conversation about quality versus quantity. And then you know in the teaser question we had, it's um it opens up other discussions there as well. And and when you look at quality, it's more important to focus on intent, right? And and so a lot of problems that marketers run into, and especially SEO agencies, is they produce content for the sake of producing content instead of actually aligning it with buyer intent. And so the more that you focus on doing your homework in advance to get topics that people are already asking for to get in front of existing demand, and then you bridge that gap from the demand over to the ways that your product or service solve those problems. And you do that and, you know, do you want, you want a million people reading your, your content that is, is irrelevant and you get no conversions or do you want a thousand people reading it and, you know, a 30% conversion rate. So um, it's, it's, you want to front load the efforts to align it with buyer intent and then makes everything else so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing too, is, uh, as AI, uh, comes, uh, comes online and, and people are more and more using it, uh, to generate whatever content that is, and even content that isn't generated by AI, you see all this content and then you realize that there's so many tools now to create even more and more and more content that at some point, at some point, all that content is going to get lost, and mm -hmm. there's going to be so much content in there. How are you ever going to get found? And uh, so I, I like your point about uh, having content that is found by the right people and being quality content in that respect, as opposed to just having quantity of content. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that we could unpack here. Um, you know, one thing on top of my mind just before we jumped on, I was doing an audit for a lead. Uh, this lead is in the is in the um, real estate space, and they had a competitor that they were going up against, and it, they had the weirdest rankings. And, and you see this a lot of times when you reverse engineer a competition and see what other people are doing. And this other client was um, ranking really well for bed bugs, which, you know, <laughs> if you're selling houses. I get why it's a topic somewhat in the realm of that, but <laughs> are you going to convert a buyer talking about scary, uncomfortable things like that? Probably mm -hmm. not. And then, then the people that have buying intent probably aren't searching for houses with bed bugs. <laughs> so, you know, it creates a, AI is, has a lot of um, unique opportunities, but if you look at it from a historical perspective, you know, we talked before we, we hit record here, we don't really need to evangelize all the benefits of of AI. There's lots of people that do that, and and there's a lot of benefits to it. But 
it opens up a discussion about, you know, how do you maintain quality control? And and just like we talked about content at scale, do you align it with buyer intent? And so there's a lot of safety measures you take in place to make sure the content's effective, but then I'm sure we'll also talk about liabilities too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, um, uh, and I, and I really like your point about, you know, aligning it with buyer intent. And, uh, and I, I guess, you know, I, I don't know anybody that uh, has the buying intent of want to buying want to buying uh, want to be buying bed bugs. That one's <laughs> I've had yeah, bed bugs. Yeah, I've yeah. been in hotels and got them, and I tell you, it's a it's a nightmare. Yeah. And that's definitely something that you don't want to be searching on. I mean, unless it's a negative, it says, I want to buy a yeah. house without bed bugs. Uh, I think that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how good that one's going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, in your bio, you talk about uh, beating a billion dollar company on Google uh, for their own brand. Tell us a little bit about that. What did you do there? Yeah, it actually kind of aligns with what we're talking about, uh, about solving problems and, and buyer intent is, um, so my wife, um, she was watching The Bachelor and she said, hey, come in and watch this finale with me. And, and uh, this was, I believe it was 2006. And so this is right before I started my agency and I, I was dabbling in SEO uh, on the side, and like I said, on my little car enthusiast website. And what I remembered from previous season finales of The Bachelor was they would leave a cliffhanger. And so it's, you know, here's the end, come back in a few months, check out who the new guy is. And this time they said, come back after the commercial break. Hmm. And so I thought that's a pretty significant difference between in a couple weeks, months, whatever, versus a couple minutes. And so I knew that that had to be intentional, but I didn't know why. And so now the the uh, aspiring entrepreneur in me was curious. And so when they came back, they announced who the gentleman was. And I went and hopped on the computer and trying to, trying to bridge the gap. Why are they talking about this guy? Why are they doing things differently? And I couldn't find anything. And for me, not being a diehard fan, while also knowing what I assumed more than the average user of how to navigate search engines, I could find very little about this guy. And so I got thinking, you know, we're talking about buyer intent and aligning with solving problems. I got thinking, well, well, if there are other people that are more emotionally invested in this show, can't navigate search engines as well, they're going to have a harder time. And so why don't I solve that problem? And so I, it was an opportunity just to do an experiment, uh, created a website about this gentleman, uh, kind of grabbed what information I could from various sources, put it into an organized single resource. Um, through what SEO I knew at it, as far as on the structure and user experience. And uh, within just a couple of weeks, was outranking ABC, a, a billion-dollar company. And went on to throw some ads on there, make some passive couple thousands of bucks for a while. And and that kind of exposed me to a, a new window of, of the opportunities in SEO. And then I went on to do that in, um, you know, other, other examples in different industries. And so for that, it really illustrated the point of aligning with buyer intent, right? So ultimately looking at it in retrospect, I solved a problem. And, and so that's how you want to align your content is how do you solve a problem and in, in, uh, for the target audience? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is uh, fascinating. Um, and realizing too, that that change took place where it's not about, I mean, I guess even if they said, you know, come back in, in, in three weeks and find more, find out more about this guy, uh, but to get them right after the commercial and, and then use that kind of as a meme to uh, build a site against that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I wish I would have thought about that. 
Well, I, I, I repeated it for the second year and then, then they caught on because mm. that, then they started releasing the websites as soon as they announced who the, who the guy was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Uh, well, good enough. So you taught him a lesson and, uh, yeah. and uh, I, I hope, well, it sounds like you made some money at it, but maybe you could have made more if they, if you'd have taught him a little more, yeah. you know, right then and there and let me build it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's been a couple other fun stories. Um, you know, I did this in automotive industries and outranked big um, marketing venues or hundreds of millions of dollars types of industries. Um, but the 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 common denominator in all of them was creating a consolidated, easy to access, easy to navigate solution that solved the problem, which in these examples was there wasn't an authoritative website where they could get all the information they wanted in a single resource. Mm, mm. Well, and and if you did it for cars and automotive, man, that is such a competitive space. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, you think about the the amount of money that they pay or you have to bid for a couple of keywords on, you know, on Google for some of their search terms. Man, oh man, that's a, that's a tough place to win. So good for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of opens up to what we were talking about AI. We can segue into that where it's... Um... You know, there's all this value in AI, but if you focus on the storytelling, right? And so the the issues that I think, um, so, so I, I like to give food for thought for people uh, on, on the topic of AI because there's countless resources of why it's amazing. But I think because it's such a gold rush right now, people are also not being sensitive to going, you know, let's take a pause and take a breather and, and how is this going to look in the grander scheme of things? And it, it opens up a couple opportunities. Uh, one is liabilities, which maybe we'll talk in a minute. But I think on this topic, which is more relevant, is it really creates an opportunity for people to stand out that can tell stories. Because the people that are using AI, um, AI in its current manifestation is largely just a content spinner. It's taking content from pre-existing resources, shuffling it around, mixing them, swapping out synonyms and paragraphs. And so we did a, a test where we we uh, pulled a bunch of people on a crowdsourced piece of content and the consistencies across five different topics from multiple different contributors, we could easily see the patterns in the exact match replies. And I guarantee hmm. all those people gave different prompts and it still gave manually identifiable matches. And so if I can identify it manually, Google's infinitely smarter than I am. And so their algorithms are going to start to see these patterns. And so it creates an opportunity for the people that, you know, maybe you said it really well and in the same, in the same way that I agree with before we hit record, which is, you know, you can use AI for content ideation, but when it comes to the actual content output, um, be sensitive to truly how unique it is. And there's quality control tools you can use to kind of um, get the best of both worlds, but it really creates an opportunity for the people that can come in and tell a unique story instead of leaning entirely on the creative shoulder of mm. AI. Yeah. Yeah. And I like your point about uh, storytelling because I, I think stories in general, people identify with them more and and therefore you're going to get more eyeballs and maintain and keep those eyeballs engaged as you tell a better story. And I, I don't know about you, but I've I've used AI just to play with to uh, to write you know a couple of paragraphs on something, and the story just seems to be flat. The AI's story is just kind of I don't, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something that's flat about it, as opposed to having a you know a professional writer or an editor write something in, on the same topic 
and you somehow get a whole lot more emotion and a whole lot more quality out of it. So, uh, yeah, I definitely yep. see your point there. Well, if you think about the mega brands that have lasted decades, if not centuries, um, I kind of default to two really obvious examples, you know, McDonald's and Coca-Cola is their brand stays top of mind so consistently because they tell stories. And of course they do it at scale too, but the it's the uniqueness in the stories and, mm. and how they try to align it to the positioning they're trying to present at the moment. So they're not taking the approach of, content at scale for the sake of content they're actually trying to accomplish an intentional thing or bridge an intentional gap yeah and i uh, i agree with you coke and mcdonald's there's a um I, personally there's a couple other ones i like uh, progressive even though you know you could say well i like flow or i don't like flow or you know uh, liberty <laughs> mutual with uh, doug and the limu emu they to your point they have been telling stories and building up the characters it's just like yeah. writing a novel um yeah. i've written a novel myself and and the fun part about it is writing a novel where you have characters and emotions and and all this stuff and and they are able to do it uh across the years uh with uh, in a very consistent way and and still get their message across about you know, whatever it is, invest five minutes and save, you know, 15% or more on your Geico or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> <laughs> See, and here we are talking about it. I know, I know, exactly, exactly. So uh, um, one thing, uh, just to kind of step back a second, uh, let's define uh, SEO, uh, because I, I'm sure most yeah. people know what it is, but just to make sure, compare it to paid advertising, and then look at what the uh, the pros and cons of that are. And sure. uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, SEO stands for search engine optimization. The, the goal is to show up higher in search engines for words you can monetize, but without paying for ads. And so it's largely building up the credibility of your website. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but you can kind of simplify it to three areas of fulfillment. The first would be the structure. So does your website load quickly? Is it mobile friendly? Uh, second category would be content. You clearly communicate your products and services and, and your value propositions. And then the third category would be external credibility. So do other people talk about your brand? Do they link to your website? Now, paid ads, um, largely the opposite. Um, it, it's as it sounds, you pay to play. And the pros and cons between the two are are very very contrasting um so the biggest disadvantage to seo is it takes time because you have to you know if we look at those three struck those three pillars of structure content credibility the first one of structure depending on if you've had a historical website and it's got hundreds of pages if not thousands that takes time to go through and clean up fix broken links fix broken images make it load quicker once you get that fixed then the majority of your visibility comes from those other two, which is content credibility. But there's also logistics behind that. You know, we, we've talked about aligning content with buyer intent. So you got to go do research and then you actually have to draft it and edit it and publish it and distribute it. So there's a, there's a logistical amount of time that takes to ha have an impact. The other thing is with SEO, I think a lot of SEOs fail to communicate their clients um, why it takes so long. So, so there's a factual reason why it takes so long. And it's not just... I think other other people know that they've heard it takes long, and so the sales guys just take advantage of that instead of communicating why. And and really, it comes down to progress versus monetization. And so you can have you can fix your website, start producing content. Let's say you're on page ten of Google. You're way in the back. 
you can see yourself moving from page 10, eight to five. That's progress. But so few people go past page one that you don't mm. monetize it. So now we compare that to paid ads. Paid ads is generally quicker to get started. You can have ads running in a day. Um, but the same thing, right? The I think paid ads fail to communicate uh, some, some of the truth behind that too. Just because you have ads running in a day doesn't mean you're profitable in a day. Usually you're burning money for 30 to 60 days mm -hmm. to collect data, to figure out who your avatar is, to fine tune the ads, to fine tune the audience. So the net of them could actually end up taking about the same amount of time to be profitable. It's just a difference of, you know, how you collect the data, how quickly you can analyze it, how quickly you can pivot. So, um, I, I've never been one to throw rocks. I think, uh, any form of marketing is great as long as it's profitable and often you can blend the two of them. Yeah. 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 Interesting uh, point about, uh, whether SEO, uh, maybe in the short term doesn't get you there compared to, uh, uh, paid, but uh, it could be that it takes you about the same amount of time, to your point, to be able to have both of them actually being profitable. And uh, and I think though for SEO, uh, you know, for a small company, um, you know, trying to get all of those those cross links and stuff like that without having kind of like traffic, uh, you know, can be a challenge. How do you how do you handle that? How do you how do you get you know that 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 you know that uh, that uh, th those cross links um, when you're when you're just starting out with your with your business. Well, it's been interesting the last couple of years because these these links are. If you go back to the infancy of Google, that one characteristic as a ranking metric is what separated them from the other search engines that existed at the time, because all the other search engines prior to Google would base the rankings on content and what are called meta tags. And those could largely be manipulated. And Google came in and said, well, what if we look at things that are external factors that are less likely to be manipulated? And so that's when they looked at these links and that those ended up giving better quality results. And that's why Google was adopted so much quicker because of the better quality results. But once people kind of caught on to that, um, marketers like to abuse things. And so <laughs> what's happened over the years is, is links are still part of the core algorithm, but I've noticed, um, that we have a really high success rate by going content first. And so we've pivoted, um, at least in my agency, where we go content heavy. And then if you do the things we talked about where you align it with buyer intent to solve a problem, then that content resonates better, has better sticking power. And because it resonates better, people naturally share it. And so you don't have to be as aggressive because it's with the links, it's quality versus quantity as well. Mm. Google, Google came out with an algorithm update back in... Uh, 2012 called um, Penguin. And um, what had happened was this Penguin algorithm update was dedicated specifically to link manipulation. And so before it was a, a quantity game. And so you could have one website with a million links and just go build a bunch of garbage fake sites. And then Google caught on and said, hey guys, knock that off. And so it, it immediately flipped it to quality over quantity. They also started paying attention to domain relevance. You know, is the link you get from one website from an industry that is similar to yours that complements it, or is it completely unrelated? And then they started to pay attention to the quality of the websites. And so you can be guilty by association on mm. the the quality or lack of content on these other websites. So what's happened um, from my perspective over the years is links are still important, but I've seen them be diluted in the in the weight that they carry. 
And, and so we've focused on content first and we've had a real high success rate, probably 80 to 90% success rate, um, where those 10 to 20 that might plateau a little sooner than we expect, then we can play around a little bit with links, but um, it, it's been a lot safer and uh, scalable and sustainable to focus on avoiding the the intentionally manipulative tactics. Mm, yeah. And uh, now you mentioned the, uh, the Google algorithm. Uh, one of the things that amazes me is when you're talking about, you know, okay, so you have then the, uh, you know, the ranking of the other sites that you're connected to, you've got your content, you got links, you got all of these different things. It amazes me how fast Google can run through that algorithm when you do a search and give you an answer in whatever it is, 0.2 seconds or something like that. And uh, and then then on top of that, to be able to uh, realize that Google is constantly changing that algorithm, um, you know, how do, how do marketers, I guess, first of all, how does Google do it? And then second, how do marketers, uh, you know, how do they re typically respond to that? So the, the speed is interesting because part of it's, you know, caching, but but they may refresh the, the, the cache multiple times a day. And so some of it, they can render a little bit faster because they're not having to truly recalculate the entire algorithm on every query. Now, as far as, um, you know, the algorithm changes, they, they have... Uh, for as much as they disclose, they can have multiple small algorithm updates a day. The really big ones are usually more a couple months apart. But, it, you know, we talked about these three pillars of SEO, which are structure, content, and credibility. And in the 17 years I've had my agency, when we realized that if we can not get distracted by shiny objects, focus on the core fundamentals, ever since then and every algorithm after, we've never had a client get a penalty. And we've hmm. never had to be concerned. So when these algorithms roll out, worst case scenario, our clients are neutral, but more often than not, they're positive. And, and so when you think about why, it's because you're not getting caught up in the, the short-term interests and the manipulation of it. And you're really focusing on the fundamentals that have lasted. And, and you can even take in, you know, new algorithm updates and reverse engineer them into that. So, you know, maybe a big one was like, uh, what a lot of people called mobile get in where Google started indexing things uh, mobile first. So was your website mobile friendly or not? So your website can now be show up differently in two different results based on is the searcher on the other end on a mobile device or a desktop. And depending on that, you could have your website do really well on a desktop and it could rank really poorly on a mobile mm. device. Now, when you think about that example as an algorithm, it's just the same three core principles. It's which website loads quickly that has a good user interface, depending on the different device being used, that has content that we trust, that has credibility that's been established. And so that may change over time, but every algorithm that I've been familiar with or exposed to in the last 20 years, all of it just reverse engineers into one or all three of those categories. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And so, uh, uh, and makes a lot of sense uh, because if Google, Bing, and the other guys are trying to give the searcher an answer that fits into what they're looking for and do it effectively, then, you know, none of that other, well, none of those fake things uh, should really, you know, make sense. What it, What is, what's important is I get my answer fast. I get the right answer based on the intent of my, my search. And so I could see where those three dimensions really, really do play exactly into that. Yeah. Yeah. And any, any new one, you know, video, 
um, content, all, all these different algorithm updates. It's just one of those three. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, one of the problems I'm running into with uh, some of our clients is uh, is paid versus organic. And, um, you know, when you think about a, uh, when you think about a, a, somebody sitting at the browser, they can either type in, uh, you know, their search uh, in the address bar or in the search bar. Uh, they can either type in, uh, you know, Guy Powell or Guy Space Powell or GuyPowell.com and get different answers. And um, then when they get the results, either if they type in guypowell.com, it'll hopefully go right over to the website. If they type in something else, they're going to get a response that has sponsored links at the top and then organic links underneath that. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's a couple of interesting uh, considerations there. But first of all, let's talk about uh, how how that all works together and how the how the those responses uh, get seen and are clicked on by the uh, by the searcher. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, for people that are um, newer to marketing, um, because it's it's surprising how significant the engagement is between those different results. And paid advertisements will technically show up in a higher position. So you get the first exposure on paid ads, but they have such a small fraction of the actual click-through rate because users get what's called banner blindness. And so the majority of us know those are ads. And so the majority of us for varying subconscious reasons of either trust or quality of results will skip those and go down to the organic. And so um, there, there's also overlap in does one influence the other? I'm of the strong opinion that paid does not influence organic, and some people will argue me on that. But I think just the the moral obligation, which is ironic to stay to stay, stay for Google, because I won't necessarily agree that they have a lot of moral strong standing in other areas. <laughs> but I think it ruins the credibility of their business model if paying to play also influences organic. However. The other side of that is, does organic influence paid? And it does substantially if done right. And so what happens is when you pay for an ad placement, there's the obvious part of the auction-based ad system. So if you're willing to pay more. But what happened was, and this happened a long time ago, is people would bid for things that were either completely irrelevant um, just for omnipresence. And so the big players would come in and just out-budget everybody mm. But the problem that started to create was inaccurate results and poor user experience, which would encourage people to not use Google, which started to affect their market share. So Google said, how do we solve this problem? And so they come up with ad quality scores. So in addition to who's willing to pay the most, that's also offset by which ad verbiage has better match to the context on the page. So does the ad actually, does the landing page actually talk about the same thing that the ad talks about? Um, but they also started to pay attention to user experience. So when they click on the ad, does the page load quickly? Does it have clear call to action and easy navigation? And so if you click on an ad and you go to a poorly built website that's frustrating, you're, again, less likely to engage on Google's results. So they started to factor those in. And so you can actually have a lower cost per click if you have a website that has better page speed and better content. Mm -hmm. SEO variables. 
And so a lot of times, um, you know, I just stay in the lane of SEO, but a lot of the people that we deal with are big, well-established businesses that are spending 50, 100, 200,000, sometimes a million dollars a month on paid ads. And because of the benefit associated with improving those SEO variables, we'll have a lot of clients pay for their SEO cost in the reduced cost per click that we drove just by improving the user experience, page speed and content relevance. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you raise a, a hundred questions there. Um, so are you saying that if I do a paid ad for, uh, with a, um, and I don't know a good or bad verbiage, good for guypowell.com, as opposed to getting the organic the organic result that if I have a bad experience or bad verbiage on the paid sponsored link that I may not actually appear when somebody types in Guy Powell? It could reduce the probability of showing up or at the very least it will increase your cost per click because what happens is if you think about the the user engagement and then the incentive for Google, right? Google wants you to have a good ad experience because if you convert people, you're going to come back and buy more ads. And so Google will look at and pre-qualify the relevance of the verbiage in your ad to the relevance to the landing page. So if the landing page is going to a short form landing page, um, doesn't have a lot of verbiage, it's image heavy, so it's, it loads slowly. They look at all these things before any user actually clicks. So it's kind of pre-built into the potential exposure. Now, if the ad is relevant, has verbiage that solves the ad's problem, quick loading website that can convert easily. The difference between the two is in, in the first one, which is less relevant in the slower page speed, Google says, this is probably not gonna convert or it has a lower probability of converting. Therefore, guy is less likely to come back and buy ads. So let's get our money now and increase the cost per click. But if they look at it and they go, ah, this looks like it solves the user's problem, relevant content, it loads quickly, it's mobile friendly, has a good user experience, they'll probably have a better conversion rate. So let's incentivize it because if it converts well, guy's going to come back and continue to buy on a reoccurring frequency. Yeah, but does that mean, though, that they are, uh, like, if I bid a dollar or $10 for that uh, for that link, um, then are they then saying, no, well, you bid 10, but I'm going to charge you, instead of charging you nine, I'm going to charge you 950. Is that is that what's going on there? Yeah, there, there's a varying scale in what the actual cost. Even though the one, even though the competing ad might be at nine dollars. They're not going to charge me 901. They're going to charge me 950 instead of 901. It, if it has the poorer user experience, correct. And if it has mm. the better user experience, because you have a higher quality ad yeah. score, yeah. it will reduce yeah. it. So you could be 850. Yeah. And still win and still be at the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not the price is not the, the, the deciding factor. It's a, it's a combination okay. of user experience yeah. and yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't know that. That uh, appreciate that. That's very good. So, um, so the other, the second problem I've got, uh, or that our clients have, is um, what drives, what instigates the search. So here I am. I'm sitting here, and uh, I see 
it's not like, hey, I want to buy, uh, you know, I want to buy new socks today. Um, and so, uh, you know, it could be that I want to buy new socks and I go in and I search and I do my thing. Um, or the ad could be uh, instigated by, wow, I just saw an ad over here uh, for new socks, for Bombas socks or whatever it is. And uh, so let me go to Bombas and, uh, and check out their socks. So the question then is, um, should Bombas uh, invest in sponsored ads for that response to keep the, the competitors away? So, because if I put in Bombas, I don't want, you know, somebody else, whoever they are, you know, Gold Toe or whatever it is, uh, I don't want them to get my, that search result. I want to get it. I want to, so I want to be, I want to have Bombas as the paid and I want to have Bombas at the top on, uh, on the organic, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to not paying for the, uh, this, the, uh, the, spon the, 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 you know, the Bombas uh, paid link and let Gold Toe own it and then win on the organic. So in, in those two cases, what's, what kind of a strategy or what, what would you recommend there? So it'll depend on, on the industry and it'll depends on, depend on your, your cash flow that you can invest in ads because what opportunity that does create is omnipresence. And it also creates the opportunity to suppress your competition. So we all know that it generally takes multiple touch points to get somebody to take action, let alone convert. So th there's a lot of, um, direct value in that and also indirect value. So I don't think there's necessarily a, a specific answer. Um, if you have the ability to throw a few bucks at that, generally your, your branded term, unless you're in a, you know, unless you're a mega brand and you're a target and people are coming after you, um, your, your branded term is probably a cheaper cost per click. So, um, and, and they might not even click on it, but they're going to see it because mm. they get the banner blindness and they skip past it. Um, and then, and then you also have the, the opportunity to, um, you know, you can put in, um, DMCA complaints on ads. And so if you have an established brand with legal protections of some sort of copyright or trademark form, then a lot of times you can just proactively prevent that entirely. So you're saying that, uh, if I'm gold toe and I, uh, buy the search term Bombas, um, and I bid on that, that, uh, that, that can be suppressed through, uh, is that what you're saying there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can submit, um, I don't know the proper terminology cause, um, mm. you know, pay, paid ads isn't my area of expertise, but I know with certainty there is an interface that you can report your protected intellectual property mm. and it'll proactively basically set a mm. filter list that other people can't bid on those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I didn't know. Uh, well, I'm learning a lot here. This is fantastic. <laughs> and and be, and be honest with you, this is one of the problems that uh, that we've got is um, uh, and it's a case that we're working on right now where uh, when you look at what we call Halo from, let's say, a TV ad, uh, when you run the TV ad, you get more searches. When you get more searches, then you get more paid search because you've instigated them, you know, people clicking on the sponsored link because they just did a search. Mm -hmm. And um, but in reality, those paid searches don't really pay off as well because I I had to pay for the TV ad over here. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, it's that halo effect that reduces actually the effectiveness of the paid search ad. And uh, and then 
if I if I stopped spending money on paid search, which is kind of the recommendation, then organic search should kind of take off because you have instigated those ads, and now then people are typing in Bombus, and then they were they're going to click on the uh, the organic Bombus uh, uh, link there. Yeah, and you can in analytics you can um, kind of get a feel for the ebbs and flows of that because you can filter it based on traffic source. And so a lot of times um, you can, or or even if you use some sort of rank tracking software, if you pay attention to your branded terms separate than your non-branded terms, that's when you can kind of identify, okay, if Bombus has increased in organic search volume or click-throughs mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I've also ran radio or TV ads, then you can probably correlate those two. Because the only thing that's going to be driving that brand awareness, you know, they're not going to Google searching Bombas unless they already know about Bombas. So something else prior to that had to give them the exposure. So a lot of times you can look at that and go, okay, is the organic traffic increasing for branded terms? Then that implies that the paid media is working. And now directly paid ads on search engines, then you can track that through analytics. But something that's like an offline event, whether it's radio or TV, that's how you can try to read between the lines and go, okay, is is there that supporting some increase in organic sales as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because that's um, and without getting, in, we're kind of getting off on a tangent, but uh, that's uh, that's a case that I'm working on right now. Is is uh, the uh, the effectiveness of that tv ad because of the halo that it gives on paid search and organic search that all of a sudden uh i'm spending or it seems like i'm spending way too much on paid search and the question then is, is if i cut way back on paid search uh because of this halo effect that uh will i lose sales uh because i you know the user didn't click on it because he didn't see it might have been a conquest ad against it or they did they didn't get you know down to the organic uh, link which is where they uh, otherwise might have uh, might have otherwise clicked um anyway i, I think well i'll take that off the line with you it's a, it's a fascinating mm -hmm. question and uh, but it really does uh, in my mind really shows how uh you know the traditional media and search which is very in usually very intent uh you know very intentional uh, um, and how that then plays with paid uh, search engine marketing, SEM versus SEO. So, uh, all right. So how does, uh, how is AI affecting uh, search engine optimization nowadays? It depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of places, there's a huge influence. And in, in my agency, there's, there's been minor influence. Um, so part of that comes down to, it depends on what your current processes are. Uh, what we can look at on our side is we talked about storytelling and things like that. But when, when we look at AI, it can help. Here, here's the trick with AI, right? Is it's a, it's awesome. It's a valuable tool. There's tons of things that you can do, but what it also creates the potential, and this isn't applicable to everybody. So like on an extreme scenario, it, it, it creates an opportunity for lazy marketers to become more lazy because they can now do things at scale and easily. But what they don't look at because the nature of the ones are in a stereotype is lazy. Uh, they're less attentive to quality control. And so as we've kind of talked, there's a big mm. difference between buyer intent and quality control. 
And, and so, you, you know, you brought up some great points, which um, you're the first that in, in me having these conversations have articulated it almost exactly the same way that I feel where it's like, use AI, there's great opportunities there, but there's two types of quality control things that come to mind for me is one is that in the actual content output, does it add value and is it unique and does it solve a problem or are you publishing a piece of content just because you've been told that you need to publish a mm. piece of content? The other problem is we are still in such an infancy on this that you don't know what the legal liabilities of ownership may end up being because there's so many variables. One is, um, is ChatGPT liable because they've aggregated content that they don't own the rights to? Well, one argument would say that that was stolen cop content. Another argument would say it's, it's creative commons. Now, you are the one that did the input. So you're the one that, you know, was the artist with the paintbrush. And so do you own the copyright? But you also sourced it from something that you don't own. So same thing. Is it you or is it Creative Commons? And so we're probably years away from having some sort of definitive answer. Mm. Um, I don't know which way it'll be one way or the other, but I think there's a reasonable enough possibility that the owner might not be you. Yeah, And so yeah. you could be building out all these processes around a procedure that may open you up to liabilities. And then if that ends up being the path that it goes, then you have a lot of retroactive liabilities that are now <laughs> open to exposure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hate to say it, we've got a cut here. I could go for hours uh, with you. I, I'm fascinated by this topic and because it really gets to the heart of how a consumer is actually um, acting and uh, acting potentially with intent uh, to purchase or to learn or whatever it happens to be. But uh, I do want to ask one uh, last quick question and then we'll uh, we'll close off. Uh, so what advice would you give an up and coming marketer uh, today? Oh man, um, I think I'd give it an answer that kind of comes full circle back to um, relationships. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of this because it's worked well for me. Um, built this into a multi-million dollar agency and, and I've never done paid ads. That's not to say anything good or bad about paid ads. Um, I just think it paints an opportunity for other people to be exposed to that there are other ways. And it's been interesting being in this for nearly two decades, seeing the spotlight change on this pendulum of attention mm. and and so in the when i first got into seo i didn't realize it was in its infancy it was just something that i found interesting and was able to get decent at and then build into an agency and then what happened was paid ads came along or different ways of paid ads came along like facebook ads and so the attention kind of started to go away but now we're starting to see the pendulum shift back on the attention where people are getting burned out on paid ads they're becoming more complex with liabilities, they're becoming more expensive. It's harder to get a return on an investment. And so in seeing how attention changes and how there's burnout on paid ads, um, it's been interesting to see um, and, and blending all the conversations we've had throughout the hour is the, the one common denominator of opportunity across any of these, whether it's organic, paid ads, AI, whatever, is if you have the ability to come in and establish relationships and and tell stories and cre create your um, 
position as some sort of person of authority um, by giving value, then you get access to clients that you wouldn't have had. Like some of my clients, um, you know, when, when we were working with the the retail store of the the NBA, uh, the Utah Jazz, I could have never ran an ad to get access to that relationship. Uh, we just had one of our newer clients is Rockwell Watches, big brand. I could have never ran an ad to get access to work with a big company like mm. that. And so it yeah. comes from yeah. delivering value to somebody that can then reciprocate and and become the evangelist for you. Yeah, yeah, and I and I've got the same problem. And uh, is how do you run an ad for somebody that wants to buy marketing analytics uh, as opposed to being a domain expert? But that's a whole yeah. different issue. Um, yeah. We've got a we've got a break here, um, and uh, but Damon uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, to the audience, uh, um, I hope you found this interesting. Um, Damon, tell us where people can go to find you, and um, and uh, and then we'll close it off. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I appreciate the chat. Thanks for the invite. Um, been fun talking. Uh, you can simply go to damonburton.com on there. You can find your social media channel of preference. And then I also have a free SEO book if um, you're looking to jump in in the world of SEO. Fantastic. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and with that, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing and AI. Please visit marketingmachine.com prorelevant.com to download uh, the first chapter of my book and, and other valuable experts uh, excerpts. And also don't forget to sign up for new episodes. Uh, Damon, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, this episode will air here in, in just a little bit. Thank you so much. Thanks, guy.